following is a Sunday sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church of New Braunfels, a community of people gathered to connect to God, to each other, and to their neighbors. For more information, visit www.hopenb.com. All right, let's dig into the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 1. This is our second week of Advent. It's also our second week in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke for a while, um, and I think that's going to be a wonderful blessing to us. So we're in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We get to hear of the beautiful proclamation of the birth of Jesus announced to Mary. Listen as I read now from God's Word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy." the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her whom it was, excuse me, this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word this morning, for this announcement to Mary and this announcement to us. We pray that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, that we might hear your word this morning, that we might see Jesus, and that we might, in return, love him, desire to follow him. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw uh, an article kind of come across today called Six Expectations That Will Ruin Your Christmas. They're good. You want to hear them? Six Expectations That Will Ruin Your Christmas. Here they are. Visiting family will be exciting and relaxing. People will be excited to see me. Everyone will get along. I'll spend lots of time with my friends. I'll have enough time to do every Christmas activity that I want to. I'll host the perfect holiday parties. How about a couple more? Kids, I will get everything on my extensive Christmas wish list. Or parents, I will give my children everything on their extensive Christmas wish list. Or maybe the one that we fail at the most. I will remember the reason for the season. You know, the people in Jesus' time had some Christmas expectations too. Now, they wouldn't have called them Christmas expectations, 
but they certainly had expectations about why we celebrate Christmas. The coming of the Messiah, the long-awaited coming anointed one. And there were varied expectations. Some people were expecting maybe more of a priestly kind of figure whose main job was to come and to make sure worship got right, who came to kind of clean up the way that God's people were doing their religious lives. Some people expected more of a prophetic figure, someone who would come and call Israel, God's people, into moral change to repentance. But most people expected a king. That's actually what anointed one really is looking toward, a king who would come and do the political work of cleaning up the kingdom, making Israel great again. That's what the Messiah was supposed to do. And of course, Jesus fulfills the role of prophet, priest, and king, but in doing so, He also breaks apart every expectation. We see in this announcement actually here some incredibly unexpected things happening. And we're going to focus mostly on three of them, the unexpected person, the unexpected place, and the unexpected situation. Let's look at those. The unexpected person. First of all, the unexpected person that the angel Gabriel greets is a young girl. Now, in our society, that doesn't sound that strange, but in their society, that would have been totally bonkers that the angel Gabriel would come and announce anything, much less the birth of the Messiah, the coming of the king, to a young, insignificant girl that nobody had ever heard of. I mean, let's think about this first. If you're going to announce to someone the birth of a king, who's the person that you would first go to? Probably the king and say, hey, dad, this little prince is actually going to be the long-awaited Messiah, the king in the line of David who's going to lead God's people in righteousness and justice. That would have made the most sense. And if it's not a king, well, at least the father, right? I mean, that's usually the way that it came through. This is a patriarchal society. Most of the time, all of the information would come through the Father. But it's so fascinating to me that the angel does not go to a king, and he does not even go to Joseph. He doesn't come to Joseph and say, Joseph, pious man, you know, guy who has really obeyed the law, you're doing a great job, and because of that, I'm going to give you this awesome news. You, in the line of David, are going to have a son, stepson, you know, going to have a son, and he's going to be the Messiah. But that's not what happens, is it? He actually comes to Mary. God's choice is a young girl. I say young, the text doesn't tell us young, but the context would tell us young that most girls in that time would have been given in marriage probably younger than most of the high school girls in our congregation right now. She was betrothed to this man who probably also was a decent amount older than her and given in marriage and was legally bound to him, and that is who God chooses to come to, a very unexpected person. Now, this should be no surprise for us. This kind of is the way that God's been working throughout the Bible, isn't it? I mean, think about Abraham. God comes to tell Abraham, you're going to be the guy who I'm going to make into a great family and a great nation, and I'm going to spread you across the whole world, and in you, all the families of the world are going to be blessed, and that's going to be because you're going to have so many children, it's going to be awesome. Remember Abraham at the time? Had zero children. 
He was real old. His wife had never had a child, and she was well past childbearing years. Yet God calls this unexpected man, Abraham, to be the father of a nation? That's crazy. Or how about Moses, the prophet par excellence in the Old Testament, the one who God is going to speak his words to? He says, Moses, I'm going to call you, and I'm going to ask you to speak to Pharaoh and speak to God's people, and you're going to be the mouthpiece for my words. Moses, who had a speech impediment. Crazy, unexpected guy. Or how about David, the king par excellence in the Old Testament, who, by the way, when Samuel went to anoint him, went through all of his brothers and had to ask his dad, don't you have any other sons that I can anoint? And the dad said, yeah, but he's so insignificant that he's not even here lined up with all the other guys. He's out in the field keeping the sheep. God loves to work through unexpected people. That's really his story, isn't it? All right, it's not only an unexpected person, though, but this is also a very unexpected place to get this kind of announcement. An unexpected place. We are told here that it happens in Nazareth of Galilee. Now, if you remember back last week, we talked about Zechariah, right, and the announcement of John the Baptist. And remember where Zechariah was and what Zechariah did. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah was on the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the holy place and to burn incense. And there, the angel Gabriel appeared to him in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the holy place, to a priest. Now, that makes some sense. Jerusalem is like the place. The temple is like where God dwells. The holy place is the place you might expect. If there's going to be an angel visit, this is probably where it's going to come. But where does Gabriel, that same angel, visit Mary? Nowheresville. Probably out in the middle of nowhere, probably at, at, at a home. We're not even told. Certainly not in the temple. Certainly not in Jerusalem. Not even actually in Judea, but actually in Galilee. Galilee is in the north. It's kind of the other side of the tracks. In fact, it's so obscure that listen what Luke says In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Guys, if you hear a news report and they say, hey, it happened in Los Angeles, you don't need them to tell you that Los Angeles is in California, do you? Because you know where it is. But if they say, hey, there's something that just took place in News Bronzefuls, you probably need them to tell you that it's in Texas and that there's only one S, right? Because... Not everybody knows where New Braunfels is. And so if you just say New Braunfels or if you just say Buford and you don't say Georgia, nobody is going to know where you are. And Luke has to actually go out of his way to tell people it's in Nazareth, which, by the way, is in Galilee because you're not going to know where it is. It's so obscure. And not only is it obscure, but, I mean, Galilee is one of these places that if you did know it, you didn't think all that highly of it. When Jesus calls his first disciples, a couple of them run over and they tell one of their friends, a guy named Nathaniel, and they say, Nathaniel, this is amazing. We have met the Messiah. He's here. It's a guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And do you know what Nathaniel's uh, response is? He goes, Nazareth? For real? He's from Nazareth? It's like if we said, hey, the Messiah has shown up. He's in Texas, and he's from Port Arthur. My mom's from Port Arthur, so I can say that, okay? 
But you know, it's not like it's not Dallas or Austin or Houston or San Antonio. It's this weird place. And people are like, really? For real? The Messiah? He's from Nazareth? This announcement comes in a very unexpected place. Third, not only an unexpected person that gets this news, in an unexpected place, but also in a really unexpected situation. Let me just ask what it was like, mothers and fathers here, for you when you, when you found out you were pregnant first. I'll tell you, for, for Joy, when, when she found out she was pregnant with Anderson, we've been waiting. We had desired a kid for a little while. We were so excited. She thought she might be present. She'd be pregnant. She ran into a CVS. She actually took a pregnancy test in the bathroom of the CVS, and then she came out, and she was so excited about it that she told the checker who checked her out at CVS that she was pregnant. Before she told me. The guy that worked at CVS knew about Anderson's birth before I did because Joy was so overjoyed with these expectations, these longings that had been met. Now, it was a little different when we found out that Hampton was going to be born. It had only been a little teeny tiny time since we had had a child. Our first two children are 16 months apart. We weren't really trying to get pregnant again, and I remember very distinctly coming home from work one day, getting out of the car and looking up, and there's Joy in the doorway, and she's got tears streaming down her face, holding a very, very, very tiny Virginia in her arms, and says, I'm pregnant. That feeling's a little different. Of course, it didn't take long for that feeling to turn into great joy, and we rejoiced in Hampton's birth, but maybe some of you have felt that before. That idea that, you know what, I really wasn't waiting for this. I wasn't expecting this at all. Joy, many of you know, works at Options for Life, an organization who, whose primary goal is to help women and families in unexpected pregnancies. And the majority of the people that walk through those doors are women who did not expect to get pregnant. And they are typically not filled with joy they are typically filled with fear. They are typically filled with confusion. They are typically not knowing what in the world is going on. And if you could just put yourself into Mary's shoes for just a second and imagine what it must have been like for her, a very unexpected pregnancy. Not only unexpected, but I mean, it's not going to go all that well for her, is it? I mean, this probably isn't the greatest announcement at first blush. Okay, great. Yeah, I get the Messiah thing, but can we focus on this for a second? I'm not married. Maybe you forgot that part. And an unmarried woman in that society who was pregnant would have been utterly cast out. I mean, can you imagine that conversation with Joseph? Hey, we need to talk. Um, don't freak out, but I'm pregnant, but here's the good news. It's God. Yeah, right. I mean, the entire society would have looked at her strangely. In fact, the entire society did continue to look strangely at that family. If you kind of continue through the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus carried this with him his whole life. There's a point in which the Pharisees are saying, you know, yeah, we understand that Abraham is our father, but we're not totally sure who your father is. Jesus was that guy who carried the stigma with him his whole life of being an illegitimate child. 
So Mary is experiencing a very unexpected, probably very unwanted at the time, announcement. But here is what is so amazing about this passage, is that all of that unexpected person and unexpected place and unexpected situation actually comes with an enormous stamp of God's approval, favor, and grace. Let me read to you again these great passages that I just read. Listen again to chapter 1, verse 28. The angel came to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And if you skip to verse 30, same thing. Angel said to her again, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The angel says that twice. He greets her. He says, O favored one, you have found favor with God. So all of this unexpected situation actually comes in a favored situation. And that word, friends, that's there for favor is just about one of the best words in the whole Bible. The word that is translated favor there is the Greek word charis, which is translated all over the New Testament as grace. God's grace has come to Mary. Into this situation, what is being proclaimed to her is God's grace. I mean, just listen to these verses. I'm going to take the word grace and insert favor here because these are verses that you may know. Romans 3.24, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His favor as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Or 2 Corinthians 12, but He said to me, my favor is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By favor, you have been saved. Isn't this amazing? In an, in an unexpected and in a very difficult situation, God is entering in and proclaiming His grace, His favor. God is actually telling Mary, and through Luke, He is telling the world and us that even in the midst of all of these lack of expectations, all of this difficulty, that God is actually coming and proclaiming His grace and His favor. Now, I probably say this often enough that I don't need to say it again, but I'm going to say it anyway. Usually, God's greatest work of grace and transformation in our lives doesn't happen when everything is going great. Have you ever noticed that? Is that typically God's greatest work of transformation and work of grace in our lives doesn't happen when things are going exactly the way that we think they should be going, does it? It usually happens in the very unexpected, very difficult situations in our lives. And let me just slow down for a second and address some of those difficult situations now. You know, Christmas is a time that most of us say we really love. And if you go to every store, you will find it really festive, and you will see the word joy and happiness everywhere. But Christmas isn't always the greatest time for everyone. There are a lot of people from, for whom this time of year is the hardest time of any year. There are people who have really deep brokenness in their families. And this idea that they're going to go and spend time together with their families 
is really difficult. Maybe that's because their parents and, and have a, they have a very toxic relationship with their parents or with a sibling. Or you're the parent of siblings that don't get along. Or you don't know what to do with your sister or your brother or with her new husband that she just married that you've never even met before. And so time with family is hard because you feel the brokenness. You feel the anxiety. You have to deal with the extra layers of of, of figuring out what it means to navigate the holiday season in a really broken family. Or maybe it's that you've experienced deep loss this year. And in losing someone you love, looking forward to celebrating family time, knowing that there's going to be an empty chair at that table, is not something that brings joy. It's something that brings sadness. Or maybe it's simply the anxiety of walking into a situation and not knowing what to expect. Yeah, I know mom says she's sober, but we've heard that before. I know Uncle Jerry says he has a job, but we've heard that before. Who's he going to ask for money from this year? Very oftentimes, the Christmas season can be really, really hard. And for those that are experiencing depression, the darkness gets darker. For those that are lonely, the loneliness gets lonelier. For the brokenness in families, things feel like they're more and more difficult. But listen to this. It is into exactly those kinds of situations that God comes to proclaim His grace. It is into exactly those kinds of unexpected and unwanted and really difficult situations that we hear this proclamation, that there is one coming who is going to change the world, that God's grace is so sufficient that it is going to cover all of this brokenness, that Jesus has actually come to renew everything so that there will one day be no broken families. There will be no loss. There will be no anxiety. There will be no tears. There will be no mourning at all. There will be rejoicing. And all of the trite words that we oftentimes throw around at Christmas will actually be true. Friends, that, amen indeed, is what we celebrate at Christmas. That Jesus has come into a situation and proclaimed His grace, His favor, even into the deep difficulties of our lives. Let me leave you with one final thing before we close. The unexpected person and the unexpected place and the unexpected situation, maybe even the unwanted situation, but there's even something greater is that the reason that we actually get together and we long for and we celebrate and we rehearse and we have Christmas is that God has actually done something even more amazing. It's that God's grace comes to undeserving people. Friends, that's the reason that we get together every Sunday is because God's grace comes to not only the unlikeliest but the most undeserving. People who we read about in the rest of Luke who would reject Jesus, who would cast Him out, who who would try Him unjustly, who would kill Him, and those of us who share their sin in our hearts regularly, is that God would give His grace to people like that. I don't know if you remember the the trial, the news about um, a Dallas police officer, officer named Uh, Amber Geiger, and you you probably do. She's the one who walked into an apartment 
thinking it was her own apartment, um, and actually shot the man and killed the man who lived there thinking he was an intruder. Terrible situation, really horrible. But somehow I ended up stumbling upon the video of that trial this week. And if you have seen this video, it is one of the most moving things that I've ever watched. Because in the middle of the trial, the, the victim's brother gets on the witness stand and he starts to, t- to give testimony and talk about the, the deep loss he's feeling and his love for his brother and how sad he is that his brother is taken away. But in the middle of that, he kind of starts to shift and he begins to look actually at, at Amber Geiger, the woman who killed his brother. And he says to her, I want you to know that I forgive you. And I want you to know that if you turn to Jesus, He will forgive you too. And I want you to know that I love you just like I love any other person. And I want you to know that I don't hold anything against you. And then He does something that's just mind-blowing. I've never seen this in a courtroom before. He turns to the judge and He says, hey, can I, um, can I get up and go give her a hug? And he has to ask twice because the judge is so, she's so flabbergasted about this, right? And she says, yes, you can. And he gets up out of the witness box and she comes over and stands and right in the middle of, uh, of the courtroom, uh, they meet and she, <laughs> she literally throws herself into his arms and is sobbing. It's, it's pretty moving. Um, is sobbing into his shoulder and they hug for almost a full minute. I timed it. And she kind of pulls away for a second, and then she'll start crying again and hug him one more time. And he is giving her this wonderful, long embrace. What a beautiful picture of what we celebrate together. That Jesus has come to those who are actually the perpetrators, to those who have offended him. That God comes and says, yes, you have killed my son. And now here's the warmth of my love. Friends, If you belong to Jesus, you get to hear these really wonderful words. Oh, favored ones, God has come to show his favor to you in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, what good news that you have come to the least expected and to the least deserving. And you have come to throw your arms around us and welcome us as your children. Lord, that is news that is almost too good to be true. But Lord, will you soften our hearts to receive such good news today that we might respond with humility and with joy And Lord, in light of that, in light of being called your children, be with us as we walk into difficult times, difficult places, knowing that you love and care for us so deeply that you would send your son to die for us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.